0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and somehow, I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together. Because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hey there, friends, we are off this week, but wanted to bring you a show, and it's a best-of show, one of my favorite shows I've ever done, and I mean that, in the history of the 180-plus episodes of Out of Patients that have been produced since February of 2020, and it was with my friend Michelle Ree. The running joke with Michelle is that her parents named her Michelle with one L, So, of course, I just start with that and trigger all sorts of fun stuff in her brain. But she is a young adult cancer survivor whom I met in maybe in 2006. But in either case, I talk about a guy named Craig Lustig who introduced me to cancer advocacy. So I introduced her to Craig and he wound up hiring her. So Michelle got her first job in patient advocacy with the guy that literally plucked me out of the matrix And made me the cancer advocate I am today She has an incredible story to tell She's funny as all hell And I think you're going to really like this episode Again, one of my favorites of all time We taped it in December of 2020 When the world was absolutely on fire Right before the vaccines got to market And man, is this show a time capsule But anyway, it speaks for itself You're going to love it Here's Michelle Reed. oh my god michelle i'm so thrilled to just talk to you in general but i i came to a conclusion that i wanted to share with you you've been through all sorts of crazy medical shit in your entire life but the one thing i'm most proud of you for having perseverance in is enduring a life being a michelle with one l talk to us about that (laughs)
1: Um, being a Michelle with one L, actually, oh, I don't think we've ever talked about how I got that spelling. So... No, this is like the weirdest bit of trivia, but there was this anchor in the New York, New Jersey area when I was born. Uh, her name was Michelle Marsh. And my parents loved her because she was so well-spoken and she held herself so well. Um, and she spelled her name, I think with one L and they really liked her. <laughs> and um, simultaneously, my parents wanted to give their children American names, because they saw their friends give their kids like Korean names, and no one could pronounce them. So they named they want to name their kids after like pop culture names that everyone could understand. So I was named after the Beatles song Michelle, my bell. Um, But they liked that one L Michelle Marsh. And my dad is a mechanical engineer, and he felt that the one L was also more efficient.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay
1: so um i was named michelle with one l and then i spent all of that efficiency all of that time that i saved (laughs) correcting people (laughs) on how to spell my name
0: (laughs) no i mean the the silent h does you in anyway but one l you know (laughs) that's 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 real fortitude i commend you for that (laughs) thank you (laughs) i think it's fair to our listeners who are just walking into this conversation to know who you are and we have a very very unique origin story the two of us
1: oh we really do yeah
0: people who listen to my show every now and then hear me keep referring to this mythical guy named craig and i keep talking He's like the linchpin. He's the guy that got me into this whole crazy space. And, you know, this guy, Craig, <laughs> listened to like, who the hell is Craig? So <laughs> Craig was my first peer. He's a guy I met through cancer advocacy. He Plucked me out of the ether and said, how'd you like to be an advocate? I said, what the hell is an advocate? But, you know, he was young. He had brain cancer in his 20s. He was bald. He's from New York City. And he <laughs> went to my alma mater. We were in the same school together in the same acapella group years apart. So niche <laughs> peer support. This guy, Craig, changed my whole life. And when we met, i like, you got to know Craig. I don't know why, but you got to know Craig. So so let's let's talk about that, because you you had I mean, you got sick when you were 20, you were in college, like I was 21 in college. We had so much in common. But let's start with that story.
1: Okay, so uh, when I was 20, I actually I transferred colleges. And before you start a new school, you have to do like the physical to make sure you're okay. Uh, And because I was 20, I was still seeing my old pediatrician. (laughs) And she looked at this like lump on my neck and she was like, that's that's new. And I was like, no, no, that's been there for years. And she was like, um, but it's gotten bigger. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. And I went and I was like, pretty much healthy. But I went and I went off to school. But she because I was from a small town, she would call my mom like every day and basically tell my mom she was a bad mother. Oh, if God. she didn't get me to get that tested. So um, that's how I ended up getting uh, diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Eventually, months later, um, over time, it was a much more complicated story. But um, eventually, um, over the next year, I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer, I had multiple surgeries, radiation. um, And then in the follow up the next year, um, they scan your lungs, because one of the first places that thyroid cancer spreads is to your lungs. Um, and, And they were like, oh ooh, there's something there you don't want to hear that. that i know you never you never want them to kind of make an mm sound yeah not okay was, mm, it was it was a little nerve-wracking uh and they were like but well you know what, let's just we'll, we'll check on in a few months and they, they did the test again they're like "Ooh." Oh, and again, here we are with the oh, <laughs>
0: Interesting.
1: I know. Like terrible. Uh but I, I eventually had to actually take medical leave because they couldn't figure out what it was. They had to do a lung needle biopsy. I ended up with a collapsed lung. Uh they just they couldn't figure out what it was and eventually um they actually had to take a piece out of my lung. So they like kind of chopped in. Eh, who needs me. That? I know, right? It's just unnecessary a small piece of
0: organs. Lung.
1: <laughs> Uh, And they figured out that it was heart tumor tissue. And so it, it turned out that I had a benign tumor. Inside of my heart. So, um, so what's
0: scarier, a, a benign <laughs> tumor, or it's in your heart?
1: Uh, I don't know anymore. You don't
0: have to answer the question. You know, I, think I think it's think rhetorical. That,
1: okay. <laughs> I was like, I was seriously considering that. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. It was so long ago um, that, and and at this point, I mean, because I still have to get like scans and blood tests to like check for both of them, because the benign tumor, even though it's benign, it can grow back, um, and I needed to have heart surgery to have it removed and everything. And it was actually the combination of those two things um, are, well, a benign heart tumor is rare anyway. uh, But the combination of that with the cancer um, were symptoms of this rare disease that I have, which basically causes me to like have tumors (laughs) all over the place is there a name for
0: this is like tumoritis or something
1: (laughs) i've got tumoritis that would be so much easier and um connect so much more with what the disease is but it's named after the guy who discovered it so it's called Carney complex oh that's Um, not as fun Right, I know it's not uh, unless you kind of think of it like a carnival. um, But then it is fun, (laughs) right? Exactly. Then it's just a carnival for everyone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My God, you were the whole package in your twenties: rare disease, rare cancer, open heart surgery. My God,
1: I was. Oh, I was a a a, a carnival ride and a half for everyone. (laughs) And I. Oh, my gosh. And, I, you know, at that time, patient advocacy wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't a known career or anything like that. And there just there wasn't support. So I remember and this is where we're going to age ourselves. But for sure. um, I remember looking up askjeeves.com. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ask
0: Jeeves. Look it up, kids.
1: <laughs> and I would look for college cancer teenage cancer, 20s cancer, like trying to find other people. And I remember eventually at some point finding planet cancer. So I found Heidi Adams and Planet Cancer that way through like just deep searching on the internet at like three in the morning.
0: For the listeners, Planet Cancer was one of the very first websites for young adult cancer founded by our good friend, Heidi Adams. We'll put links in the description. It's not there anymore, but it serves such a cultural purpose. And I'm so thrilled because that was the first thing that I found after I met Craig too.
1: It was, it was amazing. Like I... Because you didn't meet anyone who had gone through that experience with you, and I had to in college. Like I said, I had to take medical leave, and even when I went back, I needed um, to have like separate housing because I would, I would be radioactive some parts of the year, and so I needed a separate bathroom. You ever do the pick up else. paper
0: clips with your fingers trick?
1: Uh, no. Wait. What? You can- oh wait. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you you could fake it by like if you if you put a little glow on your fingers and you convince somebody you're radioactive, you're magnetic, and pick up paper clips. It's a really great cancer parlor trick.
1: I um well, so the way that my friends and I dealt with it is we were like, wow, because I mean, it, it was scary to be told that um, you could poison other people if you use the same utensils, like it was it's stuff like that. So, um, we said that my superpower was if people really annoyed my friends, then I could spit in their food and. Poisoned them. You were like an X-Men.
0: You were X-Men. Yes, exactly. I was
1: radioactive girl.
0: (laughs) That's incredible.
1: (laughs) Um, And actually I still have, I got like a a Superman t-shirt and I would wear it to all of my treatments. And I think I still have that shirt, like just packed away and I, I don't wear it anymore, but I still have it.
0: I believe that because you still have like stupid cancer <laughs> paraphernalia from 15 years ago.
1: I know. I, I, right before the podcast, I sent you the picture. It's still in my kitchen. And I don't know why I only have that year. And nothing because, else. Just that. And nothing else. But I have the 2011 fridge magnet <laughs> from stupid cancer.
0: I was just I remember like I, I think we met at a, a Livestrong conference or some type of event and you were looking for a job, right?
1: No, actually. Oh, I think the way that it happened was... Don't hurt yourself thinking about this. (laughs) Because I think it was when I went to grad school and I needed a summer internship. I think I might have met you before then and just been like very intimidated because I felt like... Because you and Heidi and everyone, like your names were sort of known in the young adult cancer space. And I felt like... I couldn't approach you like oh you were, God, really? Yes because I was like, oh they you know they're like famous people cancer famous <laughs> Hashtag felt,
0: cancer like, famous yes
1: cancer famous um, but I really I was I was going to grad school um, I was studying public health policy administration and I wanted so desperately to work in young adult cancer patient advocacy and so I remember looking up your like the stupid cancer phone number and cold calling and I remember being horrified because you picked up. (laughs) (laughs) You're expecting
0: like this, you have called the Enterprise Division of Stupid Cancer for the Executive Division Press 1, for the Finance Division Press 2. Yeah, it was just me in my bedroom.
1: I I was so horrified. I I remember being so taken aback, not knowing what to do, Um, but then I remember kind of stuttering out and trying to explain what I needed and what I wanted, and you you were so kind you were you were so kind and so generous and then you made the introduction to craig to craig Lu- craig lustig who at the time was the executive director of children's cause for cancer advocacy um, and they because you weren't taking interns at the time uh and they they were uh, and i don't so- think i have an
0: office <laughs> you were not gonna come visit me in my house My second bedroom was the office at the time. Would have been weird. Yeah, I wasn't taking interns.
1: (laughs) But I didn't know that in my mind. You were like this... This like godlike figure in the young adult cancer space because well you know like it's you're so alone and yeah. it felt like you knew everyone and you knew everything and I I did yeah so I I just remember being so grateful well first horrified that I was speaking with yes, you but first then horrified then
0: and then grateful
1: <laughs> um, and then Craig took me on as an intern um, and that was my first like real patient advocacy kind of work experience. Uh, and I I remember I loved it. It it's was addictive, amazing, isn't it? Oh, it was so addictive. But it was also like heartbreaking. I remember one day, literally ending up under my desk because I didn't realize how hard it was going to be emotionally to do that to be working in my own disease area, like every day. And I had to go to Craig's office and have like my little mini breakdown (laughs) and ask him how he did it. Um, because, and and I, I still, to this day, don't understand how anyone, um, is, is strong enough to do that because it's so hard it's so, so hard to, to face that every day. Like I, I work in patient advocacy every day. I work in rare disease and cancer patient advocacy. But I have to be like one step removed from my own because working in my own disease area is I can't function. I cannot function. No,
0: I'm so um, glad you brought that up because and this is a very sort of crass way to say it. But you have to learn to be a little dead inside to work in your own disease community Did I just break you? I think I just broke Michelle with one L.
1: I don't I don't know um <laughs> I don't really know. That's all for today, folks. Join us again (laughs) next week. (laughs) The moral of the story is to die a little on the inside. I I
0: I said it it was very a very crass way to say it, but it's really true. I mean, look, we're living our community every day in what we choose to do, and people die and people live, and who comes across? And like that could have been me. And yeah, there's a level of guilt. By working in patient advocacy, and that's something that needs to be discussed. And there are a lot of people probably nodding their heads listening to this episode, hearing you reinforce
1: that. Yes, it's there's there's so much survivor's guilt and there's so much guilt about like which type of cancer you got or which type of rare disease you have, or whether there's a treatment for your cancer, whether there's a treatment for your rare disease, there's, uh, there's just so much that, I feel, I don't know if I I feel guilty about, but I I recognize how lucky I am. And I recognize how privileged I have been. I I just, in so many ways, their luck has just played a role. Like I was lucky that my cancer was identified in time, um, that it hadn't metastasized because it was close um, I was lucky that the cancer led to my rare disease diagnosis because if I hadn't had cancer that that tumor that heart tumor was gonna kill me uh, and it, it could have killed me but it I was so lucky and I'm lucky that the rare disease I have is actually the version the type that I have is treatable with surgeries um, but other people have a different like phenotype a different version of it that that isn't treatable that way um, I, I'm just incredibly, incredibly lucky. And I know that. And, and I've interacted with other people who have either my disease or, you know, some version of it, and they're not as lucky. That's incredibly, incredibly difficult for me to accept as a reality, because it's so unfair to see that. Uh, And so, and that's the reason I went into patient advocacy because, and, and drug development in particular, because in my mind, I'm trying to make it so that everyone is as lucky as I am. I want every single person who is diagnosed with cancer or diagnosed with a rare disease to be as lucky as I have been.
0: Back with our guest, after the break
2: the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to carvana it doesn't get any better than this your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or vin and getting a real offer in minutes there really is no place like home
0: Let's take this part of the show to talk about where you are now. And my dad, I think you met my dad a few times, the mayor of, of Stupid Cancer, Lou <laughs> Greenzweig. But he has this wonderful expression, and it keeps becoming more relevant. And it's that the secret to life is to clean up nice, but never look under the hood. So <laughs> where are you in these scar wars of beating all this crap 18 years later?
1: Oh, my gosh. I think... I think that I'm really, I'm doing really well with the recognition that one day I might realize I'm not doing as well as I thought. (laughs) Um, I used to joke with my friends that one day I would end up like, curled up on the ground in the grocery store, like hugging a head of cauliflower, sobbing or something. Oh, God. Why (laughs) cauliflower? Why is it always Um,
0: cauliflower? No, it's not always cauliflower.
1: uh, Well, so actually, the reason it's cauliflower is when they were trying to describe the heart tumor to me, the doctor was drawing on this white piece of paper and he drew what looked like to me cauliflower.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) And I couldn't
1: eat it for years. But I, I just roasted a pan of cauliflower the other day and ate it happily. So, you know,
0: that's cancer, culinary <laughs> progress triggers.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I mean, there's still certain foods I can't eat because they were the only foods I could eat when I was like having radiation. There still certain like the smell of hospital soap. I still can't stand like I can't. It makes It's me funny gag. how the
0: odors are what still carries forward all these years, right?
1: I like I still definitely have certain things, but in terms of overall life, I I think that I made certain milestones for myself that I really wanted to hit. And I told myself, like, if if I kind of did those things, then then I was back to where I was supposed to be, I guess. So because of medical leave, it took me five years to graduate college instead of four. And for grad school, I did a joint degree program and I did it. I got my two degrees in three years instead of four. And so when I graduated, I told myself that I had gotten my year back (laughs) and so i was back (laughs) to where i was yeah exactly uh so i told myself i was back to where i was supposed to be (laughs) and so i felt like i i emotionally kind of accepted that loss of a year that I had had in the back of my mind and was able to set that aside and move on. (laughs) That was like when they told me I never put
0: piano again. And I had two albums five years later.
1: (laughs) Exactly. You you get that. I want to talk to you about,
0: uh, I want to talk to you about you, you took this whole advocacy thing and really ran with it. And I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to dismiss the whole, I got an MBA and an MPH in three years thing. That's a big fucking deal. So just to (laughs) take a moment. (laughs) Listeners. To absorb that she got an MBA, MPH in three years. Michelle with one L is the real deal. But you spent the past couple of years in like biotech and biopharma. You worked for Bluebird. I love Bluebird. Shout out to Takeda, some company with lots of syllables and vowels. I don't ends of a lot, but now you're at X4 Pharmaceuticals. Irrespective of these companies, my question to you is: Do they get it? Do they still not get it? What patients are, what they do, and what it's like?
1: I love that question because I don't think it's the right question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Go on.
1: Because you're treating everyone like it's a monolith. You're treating biotech and pharma like they are one being and they are not because what I have found universally at every company that I've worked at is that every single person wants to help patients. I haven't met a single person who doesn't want to help patients and who doesn't have like some type of personal connection to someone somewhere, you know? Um, And it's just a question of the methodology and what their previous experience has been and how open they are. And so the, the question isn't like if they get it or don't get it. It's a question of. Where are they now, and how do we get them to well where I think they should be, or where you think they should be?
0: <laughs> right I mean, I have stories yeah. of these go to market strategies on patient gene therapies, and they never talk to the community before launching the drug, and then no one wants it, so <laughs> I mean, you could laugh your ass up on that, which I am doing right now inside myself, but at the same time. Where is the gap? Yes, everyone's a patient. You can't not some, know somebody that hasn't gone through some crazy crap. I look at the gaps in appreciating that health care, and I said this ad nauseum, cancer care, rare disease care is a supply only economy. And the consumer patient isn't the end user when it's really the payer and the prescriber. So how do you square the circle on that ecosystem of purchase power and demand market? I'm using big words in like an economic sense, like I have some kind of degree. <laughs> but, you know, you and I live in the space of, you know, you enter a shit happens store. You don't know where to shop and who's going to help you. And these companies may have the most groundbreaking Star Trek level shit to go to market. But if you don't know it exists Your doctor doesn't think it's right for you, and you can't get it or pay for it. That's been the narrative for 20 years.
1: And I think that's an interesting way to think about it also because when you think about 20 years ago, the laws and regulations were different. And so the way that like the the healthcare system was set up, the way that um, the laws were about whether companies could talk with doctors or talk with patients about informed consent in research, like everything was so different. And the way that systems were set up were so different. And I think a lot of the just like the habits that people got into were not necessarily bad habits. Well, okay, they're kind of bad habits, but they they got into the the habit of um, thinking that, you know, doctors made the decisions about healthcare for a patient and they got into the habit of thinking that doctors could give you the meta view of what patients were thinking and feeling because they saw multiple patients instead of going to patients directly and asking them what they were thinking and feeling and the and it was because there were you know different rules around what you could and couldn't do how you could and couldn't interact um, and exactly what you were saying in terms of who the actual purchasers are uh, in terms of like how our system is set up it's so completely convoluted and it's one of those situations where you really have to ask the question of, are you actually getting value here? Is there true value? Because it's only when I, at least from my perspective, I think that, you know, you're, you really have to look at like, is this something that we need? Is this something that's adding value um, for everyone? Like, because if it really is something, and this is where I love working, especially in rare diseases, because the majority, over 95% of rare diseases don't have an FDA approved therapy. And so when you're working to develop therapies for communities that don't have anything approved, then you know that you're actually working to develop something that means something and that will make a difference. That's actually addressing a need. And when you're doing that, then you know that It actually matters. Um, And then it's a question of how you do it. Uh, You you are addressing a need. Then how are you doing it? And for me, at least, I've been lucky enough that I've been able to make choices about where I work. Um, And certainly like the people that I work with Get it, And I choose to work with people who I think really get it um, and allow me to build an infrastructure and build a model where um, we're incorporating that patient perspective into the decision making so that not only are we working towards something that patients really care about, we're doing it in a way that patients really respect and that patients would be proud to see.
0: Can you point to one specific case study that you're most proud of in your work?
1: Ooh, that's like picking a favorite child. <laughs>
0: uh, humor me. Pick one. It's the boy. It's
1: the girl. It's the older one. Whatever. Um, I would say... One of the things that I'm proudest of is an engagement I had with the Complete De George or Congenital Aethymia patient community when I was working at Enzavant, uh, because they first they're just an amazing community. I love them so much, uh, and they don't have a an official patient advocacy group. They don't have a five hundred one c three. They haven't they haven't filed, um, and I think what, what I've heard from other companies, I didn't hear it from Enzivant, but what I've heard from other companies is they want to help a community form a 501c3. They want to help them form a patient advocacy group. And that's not the job of a company um, at all. If a community wants to form a 501c3, then the company can support that appropriately and compliantly. Um, But it's not the job of a company to do that. And um, I was given the space and the leeway to engage with the community um, in a in a really positive way, and instead to provide them the support that they needed to have the conversation amongst themselves and with support from Global Genes, which is an umbrella rare disease organization, um, around what is it that they needed as a community? What did they need to provide for themselves to support themselves um, or were they things that they couldn't provide for themselves and then trying to figure out, you know, did they want to stay just as a Facebook group? Was that enough for them or did they want to go under the umbrella of another organization who could provide some more of that infrastructure that um, they couldn't provide for themselves or were they really at a point where they wanted to form their own group, which is a huge undertaking and that, Obviously, like we as a company, were not going to be involved in that at all, but we could help support them um, to give them time to do that. And being able to provide the support to the community to allow them to do that and to have that time to think and to make that decision is something I'm incredibly proud of.
0: I approve this message. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Really extraordinary. So I want to talk about giving back. Going back to our therapy session of it's really hard to work in our own space, it can be extraordinarily rewarding. And I want to take a moment to recognize an organization that my listeners may or may not know of, the SAM Fund.
2: Founded yes. by
0: our friend Samantha Eisenstein, another one of the original rap scallions in the early <laughs> LiveStrong Young Adult Cancer Movement Day. I don't know if you knew this, but I was on one of her review committees for a year, and. No. That was heart-wrenching. So for the listeners, the Sam Fund grants micro-scholarships to young adult cancer survivors in the form of paying their gym membership or their rent or their car payments when there's so much financial insecurity going through treatment. A truly noble organization. And you volunteered there. And I think you still are. What what do they call you? Like uh, Samsonites or sam Sam Sam, 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 Sam Sam-awesomes? I don't know. What's the...
1: Where are you? Um, I think we were called Sambassadors. Sambassador. I don't know if we actually use that term anymore, okay. but I loved that term so much, Sam Ambassador.
0: <laughs> it's true. So I want I, help help our listeners understand what it's like to go from you're dying heart surgery to now I'm here. I'm you know 18 years out of this hot mess. You know, and which, by the way, in Jewish is like it means life. 18 means life in Jewish. So it's a good year to be you from this Jews, this Jews perspective. But giving back this idea of paying it forward, not through a career, but through volunteership. Talk to us about that.
1: I hadn't quite thought of it that way, I think. But yes. Yeah, absolutely. I adore the Sam Funds and their mission. And so it. Seems like just a natural thing to do to support them and their work. I actually was originally, I think it was their second year in existence, I was a SAM fund grant recipient. Oh, wow. Um, and it was when I was in graduate school and at that point, my parents had spent, because I'd always been under my parents' insurance, they had spent, I can't tell you how much money, on all of my medical treatments. Um, and I was not willing to ask them for any money at all for grad school, for anything and so I had, you know, been budgeting everything out and I realized that I needed a new laptop and I needed business clothes, um, for business school and interviews. And, um, and I applied to the SAM fund and explained like, you know, I'm going to be in business school with all of these like investment banking, finance people. I am going to be coming from this like cancer. I was a study coordinator, like background. I don't know all of this stuff. I already feel like I don't necessarily fit in. And I have this like really junky laptop. I don't have business clothes and I cannot ask my parents for more money. And, um, they helped me get a new laptop and they helped me get, um, business clothes so that I felt like I could fit in. And that's what the, the Sam Fund people.
0: did. See, that made yeah. all the difference to you. And this speaks to you know our passion about survivorship, quality of life. And the I think Livestrunk pioneered the practical issues of dealing with shit happens. And man, yes. I was so privileged to know Sam and work with her. And I don't think I was on the committee the year you received it, but I have such a level of passion and empathy and, and triggers because that could be me or maybe that was me and I uh, I'm so blessed to have you on this show and I'm so happy. Hey, look at us. Hashtag how the hell are we still here? But <laughs> we're we're doing our thing and you are a stellar example of what it means to be an advocate. And Aww, I'd love to have you, you back. You have so much to contribute to the conversations. Michelle Rhee is currently the vice president of patient affairs and advocacy. I'm going to also add chief badass officer at (laughs) X4 Pharmaceuticals, young adult survivor of thyroid cancer and benign heart tumor. Like those words shouldn't go together in the first place. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope everyone listening
2: learned a little bit today about dealing with shit happens. Thank you. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.